Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm glad that you were able to come and join us for worship today. As far as announcements go, uh, I'll just remind you of what's already in the bulletin that we have uh, uh, the youth group are intending to have a lock-in on uh, New Year's. Uh, so come. It starts at 7. And uh, if your parents don't come pick you up at 9, I'm probably going to kick you out anyway. Um, and then we will have, uh, you'll see the women's conference is going to be at the First United Methodist Church in Fort Branch, Saturday, February 22nd. you got a ways, uh, but uh, you can sign up for that. And Rachel suggests you sign up soon because uh, spots will fill up fast. Um, but do we have any other announcements that we need to share this morning for everybody to be aware of? I assume not. All right. Well, let's pray and we'll prepare our hearts for worship this morning. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your great love for us. I pray that you would remind us of that today as we've gathered to worship you and you've promised where two or more are gathered in your name, you're here with us. And that's not a here with us, just be, you know, sort of a benign presence, but a here with us that is dynamic, a here with us that is transformational, that, that causes us to fall more in love with you, that causes us to fall more in love with one another. And I pray that that you would help us to be available to your presence this morning. Help us to be open to your teaching and to your leading. We pause now as your children to pray with one voice that prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand if you're able and we will sing our opening hymn. Verses 1, 2, and 3 of Angels We Have Heard on High. Inspire your heavenly song. 
Man, please be seated. Do we have any birthdays we need to celebrate today? Anybody getting older that you want to own up to? <laughs> what about anniversaries? Any anniversaries to celebrate, to bring forward? No, I didn't think so. But what about just good news? Anything good that you would like to share with the congregation today? January 9th, 19th, okay, January 19th, his baptism, and he's four years old, super cool, super cool, yeah, yeah, that's exciting, good, good, we're happy, that's good news, see, that's the kind of good news we want to share, anybody else got good news to share? Good. Yeah. Babies have a way of bringing things into focus. Yeah. <laughs> Good. 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 We had a wonderful Christmas at my house as well. We had a friend come over for Christmas Eve dinner and then we course had the two worship services here um you know we we tried to do candlelight at the early service it just didn't really work very well because right at the time when we were trying to light our candles that that sun was blaring in through this window just perfectly so it just lost its effect so i think next year we might change it up a little bit and we'll do something different for that service maybe just have a uh, we had a lot of young families there uh so maybe we'll just Cater to like a, a family sing-along type service. But uh, either way, the, the, the 11 o'clock service was, I thought, was spectacular. And uh, uh, had a good, a good showing, uh, but the most important bit of it was Jesus was glorified. It was really, it was really nice. And uh, so I was, I was excited about that. And, of course, we had a good Christmas morning, too, at our house. And uh, Levi is at that perfect age uh, for Christmas morning. And he just really, really had a blast the whole time. And, I mean, it was like, it used to be with our kids, we'd have to, like, take turns, and everybody got to open one, and, you know, and all this stuff. But we all just sort of watched Levi open his. It was, it was pretty fun. So, I mean, we got to ours eventually, too. But it was just fun to watch him, uh, that childlike spirit, uh, come out in that. So I'm thankful for that. Anything else we want to share? I don't want to cut you off. All right. Well, let's press on. Let's stand. Let's greet one another. Say uh, something like, hey, glad to see you. Peace of Christ, sister.
Luke. Would you assist me this morning? It's so much fun for me to have a friend who has a young friend named Luke because when I say Luke, he responds, I am your father. So anyway, let's pray. And then Luke will, will run around and collect your gifts. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love once again. And, and we ask that you would receive these gifts from our hands as worship, not payment because we could never repay you for what you've done for us, but we want to give as you instruct us to give. Uh, so lead us, God, and, and receive these gifts from our hands as worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. Would you stand with me once again as we sing our doxology and bring forward our, our gifts?
Please be seated once again. As we turn our hearts toward prayer, I'll remind you to pay attention to those things listed in the bulletin, to be praying for those. Be praying also for your, your friends and neighbors that you know of who may be either in the hospital or, or just in need of, of prayers for other reasons. Uh, keep them in your prayers. But I want to make sure that I remind everyone uh, to be, uh, please be in prayer for Missy Kester and her family. Uh, this is uh, um, a friend of, of ours and, and related, of course, to the Kesters, but we want to we wanna continue to pray that God would uh, minister to her with his healing touch. And that's, that's our job. And just to, you know, our job is to pray for those who need prayer. Our job is to continually bring them before the Father. It's not our job to fix it. It's our job to bring it to him. It's our job to intercede. So I want to encourage you to do that. Do we have any others that we need to name today? Yeah. And, oh, and the other is Noah and his son, uh, David. He had, uh, he, when I was helping Bill on the same day surgery, Susan was bringing David in, and his skull was out the door. I mean, immense. Well, come to find out, he had left, they had left the roof, they had drilled a roof in there from when he had listened to school, and he had several bad This is Bill Weatherholt's son? Okay. Be in prayer, prayer for David. Wow. Because I know that... Yeah. I know when you get uh, an infection, you know, when it goes that far, it can be awfully hard to get rid of. So that's why they keep you for so long. All right. Good. Amen. Anything else that we need to pray for today? My neighbor, Mike Vale, has surgery on Christmas Eve. I heard that. 
sister in law told me um, six weeks ago or day after that surgery has been done and he was on some strong antibiotics. But I don't even know what to explain. Yeah. I don't think he was. Okay. Luke. And that will have an effect not just on the family, of course, but the entire school and community. Lily. All right. We'll be praying for it. What's your grandma's name? Debbie. Grandma Debbie. Anything else? Steve? We're praying for Don. for Cindy. All right. Let's, let's pray together, church. God, we lift these uh, requests up to you, and we pray that uh, you would encourage us by pouring faith into our hearts. Help us to be able to trust you. It takes guts uh, to trust you, because everything in this world says to be afraid. Everything in this world says to, uh, to panic and worry and to give up hope. And yet you constantly whispering to us the words hope and faithfulness. That you are trustworthy. That we can, we can lean on you in times of trouble. That not only in, in times of trouble can we lean on you, but you say that you would be a very present help in those times. And so God, we call on you and we ask that you would give us the faith and the grace that we need to trust you. So we call on you for Missy. We call on you for Kathy and Jeff. We call on you for David. We call on you for Mike. We call on you for for Luke's Aunt Mary. We call on you for Lily's Grandma Debbie. We call on you for for Don Kester. We call on you for Cindy. God, we pause especially to call on you for the family and the friends of this this young uh, 
girl who has committed suicide in, in Boonville. We pray that, that you would comfort their hearts in ways that only you can because words fail us in times like this. And so we need you, Jesus, to be there for them. We need you to comfort them uh, in your power and your mercy and your grace. You breathe hope into their hearts when they're facing something that is terribly, terribly uh, just heart-wrenching. And even for that whole community and the, and the kids who go to school with her, this is, this is going to send shockwaves for a long time. And so there's so many hearts that are going to need your ministering touch, Jesus, that, that we, we're simply going to be unaware of and we won't know who to minister to or how, but you do. And so we pray that you would send the right people with the right words, with the right actions at the right times. And when there aren't right words and there aren't right actions and there aren't right, right times, God, we pray that you would be with them. We pray that your spirit would wrap your loving arms around them, that they would know that they are not alone. And so God, we lift them all up to you in Jesus' name. We lift all of these requests up to you in Jesus' name. And we pray, once again, give us the grace we need to trust you. Amen. Amen. Well, would you sing with me once again? Let's sing a hymn of praise. Hark the herald angels sing and stand if you can and we'll sing a couple verses of this. I remember being a young person and always trying to figure out what that title meant. You know, hark the herald angels sing. And I was like, why are they yelling hark? You know, but that's not what the angels were singing. The command is listen to what the angels are singing. So let's listen to what the angels have to say. Life to all he brings. 
seated. That's good singing. Our scriptures today come from two places in uh, the word, one from the book of Psalms and one from the gospel of Matthew. Um, Two verses in the book of Psalms, chapter 46, verses 4 and 5 reads, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And then Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 reads, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, or there am I among them. Or some versions, as I'm uh, fond of quoting, say, in your midst, in the midst of them. And that midstness, if you will, is not a benign midstness. It is an active midstness. Uh, that's a lot of a lot of made up words I just said, but uh, that that he's there uh, doing stuff in our presence. He's not just there. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna get back to those those scriptures here in a little bit. But you've noticed the titles of the sermons if if you've been paying attention throughout Advent have been have all started with finding Jesus in something. Finding Jesus in the Word, finding Jesus in the sacraments, right? Uh, and so today we're going to talk about finding Jesus in worship. And the theme, the thing that I've said over and over again throughout these sermons is, if you seek me, you will find me, all right? And so uh, we've said that enough. You've got that, that phrase, in your, and that's a promise from the Scripture that if you're looking for Jesus, you're going to find him. And I, and I, and I spoke, uh, if you remember, uh, the one time we talked about uh, Levi playing hide-and-go-seek and the way he plays. and he's, he's, You would have to be blind and deaf to not be able to find him because he makes so much racket and basically tells you where he's hiding. Uh, that's how God hides from us. He doesn't, you know, he, he hides in such a way so that we can't help but find him. Uh, when I was growing up, they didn't have this, but it seemed to be all the rage the last few years is this elf on a shelf thing. Uh, and I, that's way too much... A commitment for me to have to move that elf every single night is just a lot of work. But the idea is that, that this elf would move and the kids would wake up the next day and find it somewhere else. Levi had to go down to the library every day to go and see where they put the elf that day. Uh, I had two of them. Uh, and, and so yet they didn't hide the elves in like a flower container where the kids couldn't find them. You know, they hid the elves in very... Uh, uh, conspicuous places, easy to find, you know, doing something different in a different place. And maybe a little out of the way, but if you looked hard enough, you were sure to find one of these elves. And that is, uh, if Jesus hides from us at all, it's in that way. He hides in such a way to, to inspire us to look for him, but makes it really easy for us to find him. Because, of course, the promise is, if you seek me, you will find me. So today we're going to talk about finding Jesus in the worship. And worship is a big word that we throw around a lot in Christian circles. And, and we mean so many different things when we say worship. We, we sometimes mean just gathering like we do today. We call this Sunday morning worship. Uh, uh, some people just consider singing the songs to be the worship. Everything else to be something else. Um, or uh, worship might be, uh, you know, like 
if you see those old videos of the girls at the Beatles concerts, you know, screaming and crying because, uh, you know, Lennon and McCartney and, and Ringo, you know, and Harrison have just walked out on the stage and they're fangirling, we call it, right? Um, and so that's another word of, of that we, we consider that worship or idol worship, right? Uh, but worship literally means to ascribe worth, to assign worth, to declare value. That's what the word means. That's where it comes from. And so this Advent season, we focused on the promise of God to send the one. We, we've, we've relit the Advent candles for us to remind us of these things, that Jesus would save us from the darkness and that light would come and we put our, our expectant hope uh, as we took God at his word and we looked for that one, not dictating how that one would come, but just simply looking for him. Maybe finding him in a place we didn't expect to find him, like in a manger. And of course, God revealed that promised one in Jesus Christ and who, uh, through his, his sacrificial death on the cross, he brought us into right fellowship uh, and afforded that grace to us. And so we call this no longer Advent. Advent's over. Christmas has come. Christmas was four days ago. We are now in what we call in the Christian liturgical calendar, Christmastide. I love that word, Christmastide. We have, we have three tides in the Christian liturgical year. We have Christmastide, we have Eastertide, and then we have this thing called Kingdomtide, uh, which is, you notice most of the year, like we've got blue up here now, uh, uh, these these pyramids is what we call these, and uh, blue is for East, uh, for Christmas tide, uh, and then during uh, Easter, uh, leading up to Easter we have Lent and that's purple, right? But then Easter comes and we have a white uh, for that day, uh, but then and then Easter tide lasts quite a while, but then we switch to this very familiar color. If you've ever been here, normally most of the time we have green up. And green is a symbol of growth. Green is a symbol of coming to maturity, you know, and growing in Christ, and that's kingdom tide. And, and so, but we're, right now we're in Christmas time. Well, what do you do with Christmas? I mean, Advent's over. We're no longer preparing our hearts for what is to come, but we're now we're looking back to what has come. That light has come. And what do you do now that he's here? The promise is fulfilled. And so the question is, what now? What now? Well, we take our cues from the gospel story once again. Now, many of us fail to realize that uh, the magi or the wise men or the three kings, as the song uh, tells us, um, we fail to realize that uh, the, these folks, um, and in the Bible, it even never even tells us how many there were. We just know there was more than one because it uses a plural, men. Um, so we don't know that there were three. We assigned three because they brought three different kinds of gifts. But the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. It could have been 50 for all we know. Probably wasn't, but it could have been. We don't know. Um, but they, what we fail to realize in the Christmas story, because we, we tend to lump it all in together, but the wise men didn't show up until after Jesus was born. All right? they, didn't show, they weren't there with the shepherds. The shepherds show up that same day. They got to see that newborn baby in a manger. By the time the wise men got here, most scholars think that Jesus was between one and two years old by the time the wise men showed up. That he was still in Bethlehem, okay? That they had not left Bethlehem yet. They were still there. 
uh, and, and the wise men show up when Jesus is one to two years old. Uh, and uh, because, uh, and, and they have various reasons for thinking this, but the wise men show, we know that it was later at any rate. We don't know exactly how much later, but we know it was later that the wise men show up uh, to bring their gifts to the king. Uh, all we know for sure from the Bible is that they came from the east. There were at least two of them, and they brought gifts to the king. We, we know what those, those gifts were and that they were wise. And they demonstrated that wisdom uh, in that when they went, when they made it to, to Israel, they first went to go and see uh, the king, Herod, because they didn't really understand who this king of the Jews was supposed to be. Who, who else should know but the, the current king? Right? He'll, he'll know who the next king's going to be. All they knew from reading the stars was that there was a new king in Israel, and they were going to come and pay homage, pay their respects to worship. So they show up, and they ask Herod, where's, where's your new baby king? And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, and Herod was famous for killing people who might have a claim to his throne, killed his own children. That's who this guy is, Okay. And uh, so he, uh, he says, hey, why don't you guys go and figure it out? Figure out where this newborn king is. Then come back and tell me so that I may also come and worship. Right? So he was a sneaky snake, this guy. He was not a good guy in any way, shape, or form. Right? You wouldn't want to get to know this guy. He was all about himself. Okay? And, and so the, the, the magi or the wise men, they... They, they, they discern from the, uh, Herod's own wise viziers. They come in and they say, hey, we've been reading the Bible and everything points to Bethlehem of Judea. That's where you need to go and find the baby. And it's about this time when the baby is supposed to be born. That's where you need to go. And so they show up there in Bethlehem of Judea. And uh, you remember the shepherds, when they, you know, shepherds were like, uh, I call them pluggers, you know, these, these Blue collar, you know, just day in, day out, always working kind of guys. You know, just tough. I imagine they probably appointed themselves, self-appointed themselves, the Holy Family's bodyguards, you know, there in Bethlehem. Because Jesus had been there. They knew who Jesus was, right? All of a sudden, these fancy guys come in, and they're looking for, where's this new baby, the king of the Jews? And, and, and I'm sure, kind of like a bouncer at a bar, they're like, who's asking? You know, who's asking? Who wants to know? You know, but eventually, I guess, they convince, you know, that, that's, of course, not in the Bible. That's just how I imagine it. But they, they convince uh, whoever to show them where this, this, this baby is born, and they find baby Jesus, right? And they bring gifts. But they came to Bethlehem. We must remember, they came to Bethlehem to worship. They came to Bethlehem to worship, and they got there by following a star. They got there to follow a star, to ascribe worth to the newborn king of kings. And they brought gifts. And, and what's funny is they brought, these were really expensive gifts. These were amazing gifts that they brought uh, to this new king of the Jews, uh, to this backwater town. Bethlehem was not, uh, you know, wasn't on the interstate, so to speak. Uh, it didn't have a lot of wayside attractions. It didn't have a Facebook site or anything like that. It was just... Uh, Bethlehem was uh, kind of like, I, I liken it to, to going to Johnson, you know? Uh, we think, well, what's, why Johnson, you know? Because that's where he was born, you know? 
in a stable, you know, in a rundown stable. And, and this is where he's, and these really, really important people show up with really, really important gifts to give to this baby and his family. And uh, they show up there and they have to get past the, the you know, the bodyguards first, you know. Uh, but they, their story must have been fantastic, right? Um, but they had seen some fantastic things there in Bethlehem in recent days, months, or maybe even a couple of years. We don't know exactly. But the, the angels, for one, knew that um, we know this baby's important because the night when he was born, a crowd of angels showed up out there in the middle of the, the hillside when we thought we were just dealing with you know wolves. Uh, the angels showed up and started singing about this baby that he was uh, going to be the, the son of God. You know, and so we, we came and we worshipped uh, this baby and we knew who this baby was. And so they knew that there was something powerful about um, this, this moment, this time that they were in. And so when the, when the wise men said, hey, we followed a star to get here, they probably didn't balk at that at all. They're probably like, oh, yeah, cool. Oh, just a star. We had angels. You know, whatever. It's, but the, the wise men followed a star. And they followed that star for a long time. A long time. They came from a far country in the east. So we don't know back exactly how long they had to journey to find Jesus, but they came a long ways to find Jesus. In this morning's children's message, I asked the kids what they got for Christmas. And there's some pretty good answers. Uh, one of them said a BB gun. You know, Sam Oakley got two Magic eight balls for Christmas. And I figured that's because if you don't like what one of them says, you can just shake the other one and get a different answer, right? Um, but it was just kind of funny that he talked about, you know, he got, I think it was from two different grandparents, got him a magic eight ball. But uh, the idea being that, you know, the wise men, they wanted, you know, when they followed that star, they were seeking Jesus. They wanted to know where Jesus was. You know, the problem is today when we look at the stars, we usually want to know what they have to say about us. What are my winning lottery numbers? What are my, you know, but when they, what they were looking for was something different. But this morning when I asked the kids about what they got for Christmas, I then asked them, you know, because I told them the story of the three wise men. And, and I said, you know, they brought these gifts. And do you remember what they were? And they remembered what they were. Then I asked them if they knew what those things were. They had no clue. They don't know what frankincense is. They don't know what myrrh is. They knew what gold was, but they all agreed they didn't have any. And, uh, and I said, so if you were coming to see the newborn king, what would you bring? You know, and I said, say you had a treasure box, just like this one. What would you have in it for your king? And they had some really good answers. One of them said, a bed. <laughs> right? Because they've been sleeping in the hay this whole time. Uh, one said, a pillow. Right? One of them said, a couch. And I said, why, why a couch? So they could watch TV, you know? And then the other one said, and a TV, right? So their idea was, let's bring Jesus all of the, the creature comforts because he deserves them, right? And, the, and I think their hearts were right in it, but I said, you know what Jesus wants from you? The one gift that he desires from every boy and girl, every man and woman on the planet is just your heart, right? And so we have this heart that that Jesus desires for us to bring him, that if we were going to bring him anything, it would be our hearts. And uh, I mean, the kids, the kids got it. 
They understood. They guessed, really. Uh, we're supposed to love him, you know, and that's really the same thing. That's what it means. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But the wise men may make their, weren't, their, their way, their journey uh, to Jesus because uh, I, I believe for one reason, because they were looking for him. That's how they're able to find him. And the words say, if you seek me, you'll find me. So the reason they found Jesus was, was not because the gifts that they brought, the frankincense and the gold and the myrrh, not because those gifts were worthy, but because they were seeking Jesus. They didn't find Jesus uh, uh, because they earned their way. They found him because they were looking for him. And, the, and they brought the, the good gifts not to show Jesus how worthy they were, but to, to glare to Jesus how worthy he was. Those gifts were to ascribe worth to him. Those gifts were to worship him. They brought those good gifts to tell Jesus what they thought of Jesus, not the other way around. They made the, their way to Jesus not because of their wisdom. Uh, and I know this because the same wisdom or knowledge that, that was afforded to them on how to get there was given to Herod as well. And yet Herod didn't choose to actually find Jesus the way he needed to be found. He wanted to find Jesus. <coughs> but not for the same reason that the wise men did. In the wickedness of Herod's heart, he couldn't be bothered to worship Jesus, but instead he started a plot to kill Jesus. It was Herod who would eventually order then the infanticide of every male child under two years old in Bethlehem. He would send his soldiers, and every male child in that town was put to death. Because this guy wanted to maintain what was his. He wanted to maintain his power, his control. Frankincense, gold, myrrh, that's worship. Infanticide, not so much, right? Both looking for Jesus, but one of them was through worship and one of them was not. So what lesson does this have for us today as we gather for what we call worship on this first Sunday of Christmas tide, I believe it's simple. On Christmas Eve, we discussed the light that Jesus brought as we, I held up one little candle in the darkness. And I said, this is not his end game. He didn't want just this one little light for you to go out and chase the darkness away. His promise is that the morning star would rise in your hearts. That at, at, at some point, this little light would be, be so bright, it would grow so big, it would be spread so far that it would be as bright as the noonday sun. That's pretty bright. And that's his desire. And so we discussed that, that it starts small and it helps us see in a dark place, but that light has a destiny to become so bright that it would dispel every shadow. And the most blessed aspect of the promise is that that light would be born in us that the morning star, Jesus, who is the star that we follow, that if we follow him, that star would rise in our very own hearts. If we keep our eyes on the, the morning star and we don't go to the left or the right, and we remember that he is not only the author, but he's also the finisher of our faith. He writes the beginning of the book, he writes the middle of the book, and he writes the ending of the book. We don't get to write any of it. We just get to read his story. If we will not be swayed by the doctrines of men, if we will stay our eyes on him, then he will complete what he has started in us. If we follow the example of the wise men, the magi, and fix our eyes on Jesus, bring our gifts to Jesus, pay our homage to Jesus, if we would seek Jesus, then what will we do in the end? We will 
find him. So the two scriptures that I read earlier speak of this, I think, in a beautiful way. As we see in the psalm, this this river of life that issues forth from the heart of God as he inhabits the city of God. He inhabits his city. In In the Old Testament, it talks about the city of God. It means his people who are gathered together. And when his people are gathered together in worship, God is there. And this river of life issues forth from his heart to them. And of course, in the, in the New Testament, when Jesus said, when you're gathered in my name, it just, you know, uh, reminds me of that. I think it's a Toby Keith song. You know, occasionally, I want to talk about me, right? You know, and, and it's just nothing. And this makes God seem a little e- egotistical, but it's not. The thing that really gets God's heart going is when we start talking about him, when we start focusing on him, and he shows up and he says, oh, this is good. You're, look, you're thinking about me? Guess who I'm thinking about? You. And he starts pouring out his mercy and his grace and his love and his power in ways that we cannot comprehend, all because we're focusing on him. And the only way that we can participate in that is if our attention, the attention of our hearts is on him. When our attention is on other things, it's like, it's like here's this stream that issues forth from the heart of God and we start thinking about other things and focusing on other things. It's like we step out of the water. And he's like, well, what are you doing? It's like, well, this, this seems more important right now. What could be more important than standing in this stream than, than, than just letting him shower you with his love and his grace and his mercy? Absolutely nothing, but we sometimes think other things are more important. I'm guilty of this. But when we gather to seek him, he is there. When when Jesus becomes the focus of our heart's agenda, when he becomes our primary motor, if you will, when, when he has captivated all of our thoughts, all of our energies, all of our hopes, when he is the star that we are following, and we're not following any other stars, we're following his star, then we experience that God with us in a whole new way. When we begin to see Jesus with all that we are, which brings me back once again to this heart. Because sadly, and I include myself in this, this This is what we usually seek Jesus with. Bits of our heart. Bits of our soul. Bits of our strength. We compartmentalize and and partition off our days and our calendars and our schedules and our agendas. And This is how much I'm going to give to seeking Jesus. I'm going to seek Jesus with like a 20th of my heart. That's what I'm going to seek Jesus with. And the only problem, now, now don't get me wrong. This is life-changing. This is utterly transformational. This changes the way you act. This changes the way you see your neighbors. This makes you kinder. This helps you love your enemies a little bit more. It helps you pray for those who despitefully use you. This helps you to remember not to lie. Right? This turns you into something that you couldn't be without it. And that's just this. Imagine what it would be like if we just saw Jesus with half our heart 
exponentially different, right? But then imagine again, what it would be like if we saw Jesus with our whole hearts. If we put our whole hearts on the altar of seeking the Lord. Seek me first, my kingdom and my righteousness. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Put me first. Put your eyes, fix your eyes on that morning star, the author and the finisher of your faith. If we would do that, here's the thing. We can't. The scriptures tell us you can't even imagine what God has prepared for you. You can't even imagine. So if you could imagine it, (laughs) you're not there. You don't get it. But if you will seek Christ with everything you've got, he will completely and utterly transform you inside and out. We're about to begin a new calendar year, 2020, in just a few days. But on the Christian calendar, we've, we've already entered the new year. Christmas is our new year in the Christian calendar. And that, that was four days ago. And so this new year, as I've laid the pieces of our heart on the altar, I want to issue a call to you. We who call ourselves St. Paul's United Methodist Church, Actually, even we who call ourselves St. Paul's United Methodist Church, the folks who come to the second service, you know, I want to issue a call to you, a call to worship. Traditionally, in our worship service, the call to worship is, is that moment when, uh, you know, it says, hey, let's prepare our hearts for worship. And everybody goes, okay. And you respond. And we sing our processional hymn, right? And it comes down there. In some services, there will be a call and a response, a reading, you know, the, 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 the person, the liturgical director will say something like, hey, God is good, and the people will say, all the time. And the liturgical director will say, all the time, and the people will say, God is good. And that's a, that's a response, a call to worship. And every call begs a response. And so I want to issue, not just for you, but for myself as well, a call to worship for us. A call to ascribe worth. That's what worship is. A call to ascribe worth to Jesus, the King of Kings in 2020. A call that, again, begs a response, a fitting response. And that would be to seek Jesus with our whole heart, with our, our whole strength, with everything that we are. And I think a fitting response would be to bring gifts that are fitting for a king, just like the Magi did. So the next three Sundays in the new calendar year, uh, we're going to look at the gifts that the wise men brought. We're going to look at the frankincense, which I believe uh, represents the prayers and the praise that the people bring to God. Uh, Frankincense was a sweet-smelling incense, an aroma that would rise up to heaven. And it says that God would would smell that and go, hmm, and so when we pray and we praise, uh, that's, that's a sweet-smelling incense to God. And then the gold. You know, the gold is, I believe, uh, uh, representative of, of our acts of righteousness, that we don't do good in order to pay Jesus back for the cross. We don't do God, good, rather, in order to earn God's favor. We do good to say, I love you. That's why we do what we do. You know, I'm kind to my neighbor. I turn the other cheek. I pray for people because I'm saying, God, I love you. That's why I do it. 
And the third one, myrrh. And myrrh could be both an oil and an incense. It was used in both, both ways. And it also comes from a, a tree resin like frankincense, but it was a different tree and had a very different aroma. And they would make oil out of it. And myrrh was typically used, primarily used to anoint the dead. Uh, it was a very, very pungent smell, uh, probably a practical uh, part of it there. But I believe that that speaks of our willingness to lay down our own will and pick up his. Not my will be done, but yours be done. To die to self, to pick up your cross daily and follow him. We pray that every Sunday, right? Thy will be done. And we pray it so nonchalantly, but those are powerful words. And I think that that's part of the gift that we need to bring God is to, yes, praise, pray, do those things. Do those acts of righteousness. But also bear in mind that this is not your life anymore. It's been bought and paid for. It belongs to the King of Kings. And so we are dead to self but alive to him. And we live only for him. And I think those three gifts that we can bring, and we'll, we'll talk a great deal more about those in the, coming, in the coming weeks, but the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh that we want to bring to God. With this kind of seeking, I believe we will find him if we instead seek to find our own ways exalted, our own agenda served, our own glory, then we risk falling down that same path that Herod took. But if we seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, then all we ever need will be given to us. This is the power of true worship. So let's sing our, our final, final hymn. And as we do, I want you to think about what, what gifts does God want me to bring to this infant king? You know, and he's no longer an infant king. You get that, right? But for many of us in our hearts, he's still the infant king. And we want that infant king to grow to full maturity. So would you stand with me and we'll sing a couple verses of joy to the world. Joy to the forth this call to worship that, that we need to give all of our attention to seeking Jesus, to be all in. And, and, and I don't think that we can hear a call like that without first hearing this, 
that I am able to love God because he first loved me. It's the only reason I'm able to do it. I can't bring myself to do it just in my own power, my own muster. I can't, I can't love for God. You know, it's got to be a gift that he's given me. And I want to remind you of something that's said in the prophets. God said, you know, would a mother forget her own child? And we all, of course, said, well, no. He said, well, it happens. But I will not forget you. See, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hand. So when Jesus loved you, he was all in. It wasn't halvesies. Every bit of his heart went into loving you. And that's all he asks in return. Go in peace.